Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. And we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayer's 85th. <laughs> Welcome to MCU. And me! Okay, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it. We got it. In this episode, we're discussing 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy. There will be spoilers. All right, right into it. So everyone in the galaxy is obsessed with this purple stone. And this ragtag motley crew of scavengers prove that teamwork solves all problems. <laughs> There's some sister drama. <laughs> Daddy issues. That's going to be my summary. Oh, and uh, popular music. 80s tunes. Mm-hmm. And lots of CG. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm glad you said that. I'm just going to go right ahead and say blanket statement. This is the least relatable Marvel film we've watched yet. Yeah, I agree with that. It's so little human to human scenes. <laughs> Planets and universes and things like so much. So many new things and names that I feel like this film is only for the people who read the comic book. And even then, though, like, this was a huge gamble. Guardians of the Galaxy first came out in 1969, and it was not a hit. It has been on the back burner basically since. It hasn't seen any kind of heyday. Like, it didn't become super popular. So this was a huge gamble. So even when it comes to fan service, there wasn't, there isn't a whole lot of that in this film because not a lot of fans know about Guardians of the Galaxy now, the people who do know, sure, they're going to be loving everything in this film. But, yeah, it's a ton of new stuff thrown at you. And it's all CG space. All new names. All new people. Aliens. Laser guns. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a really hard turn from where we have been before. In a different way from Thor. Thor was another really hard turn out of the two previous Iron Man films, but Thor was still relatable in that it brought everything back to Earth, and then we met Thor to move on in the story, and there was relatability in that too. But Yeah, it's like there's a classic like hero's journey sort of arc to it. Mm -hmm. And I can see how Peter Quinn is supposed to be like a Han Solo scavenger, kind of scallywag, mm -hmm. doesn't care about anything, got to... Different woman in each galaxy. Yeah. And I mean, I also am a big fan of Chris Pratt. I was obsessed with Parks and Rec 
they're using all this popular music and it's kind of like a realistic acting style, at least from Chris Pratt. Like he's doing very much just Chris Pratt. Yeah. Um, and he's so watchable. I mean, I, th- I feel like he redeems the movie in a way because he's just so charming. Well, and the rest of the script is very spacey and the language they use sometimes is very stilted. And so he has this kind of off the cuff, very Tony Stark. He's so watchable because he's very casual and easy. Yeah, but I feel like, well, we already have Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. I also feel like this is, maybe I'm wrong, but this is the first film in the canon that doesn't have any relation to any other films. Except you pointed out there was that guy on one of the planets who was in Thor. Yeah, Benicio del Toro playing the collector. Well, po- he was in the post credit scene. Of Thor, yeah, when they mm-hmm. were dropping off the ether. And he said, one down five to go then in this they're bringing him another one of the infinity stones so Mm -hmm. that's a little tie-in but if you didn't stick around to the end of thor 2 then there would be no connection right but i thought you also said there was a guy who a blue guy who was killed the guy turns in the swivel chair like oh, halfway oh, through this oh, film. N- not the guy who turns in the swivel chair, but like yeah, was in that scene. the the other minion, yeah. Um And you he, said, Oh, that was the guy from From Avengers. Loki was talking to him. Oh, Loki was talking to him yeah. in Avengers. Like he was the okay. one who like gave him the scepter and was like right. saying, We'll give you this army of aliens. Was he on the Confior planet? No. Oh gosh. Now see, I'm at that point of getting them all mixed up. Mm-hmm. Now watching this so quickly after the other ones, this one is very fun. And it's lots of action, snappy characters, some really funny moments and great music. But it's also so convoluted in how it introduces more space and more crazy new characters. I can only imagine how confusing it all is. And I want to ask, how does this feel now? Not just as how did you like it as a film, but... How does it feel to you in the overall storytelling of the MCU so far? It doesn't fit at all. Hmm. Yeah, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's not that it's not an enjoyable film, but I just don't at this point see how it fits in. And I get that they're, you know, also going, how does how how do people like this? Mm-hmm. You know, and this made kajillions of dollars. So totally. you know, and it was a summer blockbuster and super fun, lots of explosions, merch yeah. that they can make out of Groot. Oh, and, my gosh. And the New York raccoon. <laughs> yeah, you pointed out at one time. Why uh, is he from New York? I mean, I love what... Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper does as Rocket. He has some of my favorite parts in this film, and I love his voice work, but yeah. totally. Why'd they settle on New York? Oh, well, it's like, why are they British in Star Wars? Sure. You know, so I get over it, but it is a bit like, hmm, whose choice was that? Mm-hmm. Did Bradley Cooper also bring in a German accent? Like, <laughs> It's like when you hear things like uh, Mike Myers was thinking of doing Shrek with a Canadian accent. I didn't know that. Like, oh, I'm an ogre, eh? And That's then funny. And the producers were like, mm. They're like, remember when you did Fat Bastard? <laughs> Do that. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. This really is just a, ooh, you like this? And it's so formulaic in that it's just an action film. It's a summer blockbuster with lots of flashing lights that vaguely fits into the story that they've been telling so far. But it it's a big gamble continuing the story they've already started because it doesn't continue the story really. No, it, the way it continues the story is there are bad forces in the universe. Well, what everyone's are, obsessed with this stone. Which is important, actually. And what I will say about 
now watching it, what I got out of it is that it's introducing the concept that there are all these players, not just on Earth, who are interested in these stones, and it's telling us to pay closer attention to them. Hmm. But it's also a gamble because Marvel, now owned by Disney at this point, could have so many different characters. And the fact that they chose these, it's really interesting that they went this direction to continue telling this grander story because they could have had kind of anyone they wanted to. Yeah, I'm curious to see how you react to the rest of the storytelling with them now in the mix. For sure. I Yeah, I just wish there was less CG. Like, I much prefer when it's someone in a costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't really connect with it very much. I like, you know, okay, I like the action. I like the escape from the prison. You know, them having to work together and, like, make a plan. And they have all, they're all used to, you know, working on their own and going rogue. And they have to, like, join forces. Become a team. Yeah. Okay, lo- love that journey for them. And they're all kind of uh, egotistical. And they all have to be humbled a little bit. And, you know, we see a little vulnerability from Rocket at the end. And hmm. we didn't... I didn't know he loved Groot that much. But, you know, he's a he's vermin with a heart of gold, I guess. <laughs> but, okay, we don't really get inside of several of these characters. I don't feel like I know much about Gamora. Okay, we have to talk about that name. But Gamora's uh, story, really? Mm-hmm. She's just like, she's apparently her dad's favorite. And she's working against him. And then her, like, weird sister issues, where, like, her dad says in front of her sister that Gamora's his favorite? Is this Go 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 Joseph? Like, what is happening? And, like, no wonder the blue girl's so angry. And then, like, there was a moment of vulnerability. I was like, oh, man, like, when she tries to, like, kill her sister in space, and you see her face for a second, and even though she has, like, beady eyes, you can, like, see there's a little tear forming. Like, I, I love a redemption sort mm-hmm. of arc and, like, didn't really pay off. Did she die? She cut her hand off and And like then fell. she fell down and took a ship and flew away. Whenever people fall onto things in movies, they always know exactly the timing. Oh, yeah. They're they always so know exactly, good at it. They're like, that ship is flying at exactly this speed. And if I cut my hand off now, I will fall uh-huh. exactly onto that ship. Yeah. And definitely not fly off of it. No, definitely not. Definitely land. And stay. S- stick the landing. Yeah, so, okay, we don't really get to know a lot of these people's motivations. Or they're they're very glossed over. Mm-hmm. There were so many new characters introduced. And disposable characters. Oh, my goodness, so disposable that, like, as they start to die, I'm like, I don't care, don't care, don't care, don't care. Yeah. You know, and we're, what, like, eight or nine films into this, like, Marvel universe. And I'm like, can we return to some of these, like, other stories? I'm getting interested in so-and-so story. Mm-hmm. I want to know more about that. Or yeah. can we check in with Tony? It's been a few movies. Yeah. This film has never been in my tops of the MCU. I had a great time watching it when it first came out. I've had a good time watching it every other time. It's fun. It's jokes on jokes on jokes. But it's only jokes on jokes on jokes. And a little bit of narrative. And it does feel kind of cheap to me. It feels like, well, in many ways, it was a safe bet for them. Because they could just pump out an action film with jokes. A great soundtrack. And know that people would come see it and have a great time. So they could draw in a ton of people. Also star-studded, too. Like, even the teeny parts. For sure. But it does feel like, okay, hang on. You were just really getting to some good stuff with 
The Winter Soldier, the last film, mm-hmm. right before this one, we are getting to some good stuff. Great narrative storytelling, depth of character. We're really getting into like, okay, there is a larger thing at play here. It's all coming together. And then to suddenly be thrust way out in space with this feels really jarring. And like I said before, I recognize in hindsight, necessary, but all the same. It feels very, whoa, 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 hang on. Can we go back to the good stuff that we were just getting to before? Mm-hmm. And also I'm going, when is this taking place? Like maybe, you know, if they're in another galaxy or dimension or whatever, they're experiencing time at a different speed or whatever. But it seems like most of the species they encounter are human-ish. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions that don't get answered. I don't really connect. I hate to poo-poo a movie. But it's hard. It, it It's hard when it's just so much visuals and it's all just kind of like, okay, now we're just eating some cotton candy for a bit. It's fluff. It is just fluff. And jokes and jokes and jokes. Okay. I was furious, though, when Tattoo Wrestler Guy, what's his name? Drax. Did they say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't catch that. He calls Gamora a whore. And then a second later, when someone insults her, is like, hey, no one talks about my friends that way. Which is, I think, meant to be the joke. What? But (laughs) Not funny. Yeah, it felt a little out of left field. I don't know why they included. He could have called her many other things to be insulting that wouldn't be like, whoa, 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 hang on. That's actually like not cool to use in the film for any reason. Right. And has she... I'm sorry, has she given any indication right. of being a loose woman, except that her name is Gamora? No relation to Sodom and Gamora? Probably not. That can't just be coincidence. I mean, it, it honestly could be. Is her be. sister's name Sodom? No. <laughs> Nebula. <laughs> Nebula and Gamora. Or is it just that she's like a hot lady who doesn't seem to have time for him, so he insults her? Yeah, and that came late in the film, and I was like, I perked up with that. No thanks. Unnecessary. It's a bit when you're watching, I don't know, when we're watching the Golden Girls and all of a sudden there's a racist joke and we're like, what? What? Who let that happen? Or they call each other a slut. Yes. It's like, wait. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm not trying to be like puritanical about it. I was just like, yikes. Listen, these women in these films are already given so little to do and are, are mainly set dressing. So... I mean, I I appreciated the fact that there were more women in this film, and I liked the fight between the two sisters. I thought the choreography was really good. I think Zoe Saldana is a solid actor Mm -hmm. and great to watch and, like, smoking hot. And uh, Glenn Close can do no wrong. But, like, she was one note the whole time. Underused. Underused. I know. Can, like, we have a Glenn Close Marvel film? Please. Make her Ronan. Right? That would have been cool. And, you know, maybe there were two lines that explained what his motivations were or something, because he seemed to be serving someone else to Thanos. Thanos. Thanos? <laughs> Thanos. Who did, what, who was being called Santa? Xandar. Yeah, Xandar, he was saying. Was he saying it with a British accent or something? Xandar. He was going, Xandar. Well, there were a few times where he definitely said Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't mean to mock. I mean, I haven't tried to write a superhero movie, so I'm not going to be like, I could do better. But it's just not my thing, really, I guess. And I'm kind of bummed there's another one. Well, wait till you get there. 
<laughs> it hasn't set itself up in my books in a great way. Well, and making the comparison to Star Wars, it makes a lot of sense because it's very similar in style, the overall not hero's journey because it's not the hero's journey at all, but ragtag group of people coming together to defeat the great evil. It's similar in that way, but where Star Wars takes itself so seriously, not in a mockable way, but like this matters. This movie's so irreverent, so jokey, so silly that it all feels so disposable. Mm-hmm. And so it's so hard to connect with any of these characters because you know a joke is coming two seconds later. Well, and it feels like a bunch of people were like, wouldn't it be crazy if we made this movie? Wouldn't it be crazy if we were given $200 million to make this movie? Totally. And then, you know, like it might have been better if they made it for 20000 Sure. <laughs> well, because they wouldn't have been able to rely on, oh, we'll make this Special shot effects. look really cool because they'll it'll look in space. Yeah. And like the moment I felt like we were supposed to like feel a whole lot at the end when he grabs the infinity stone and then it's like teamwork and they all hold hands and they do it together. When the little raccoon hand reached up, I couldn't stop myself from laughing. (laughs) And you know, it's coming, you know, because they've all like linked up and then you just see like this little like paw. I love it. From the bottom of the screen. I know it's supposed to be funny and irreverent, but I was like, oh, no. I love that they don't shy away from like, here comes the raccoon hand. Because raccoons have little hands. I know, he's got such a little hand. (laughs) Yeah. I also was imagining a lot, like, just how they were probably really disconnected from each other when they were filming. Like that whole scene that takes place in those pods when they're all flying around in outer space and they take the pods out of the atmosphere and then the whore gets flung into space and almost dies. Yeah. That could have been done on separate days. Well, yeah. And with so much CG and like they were all in their pods. Right. And so I was watching them acting inside their pods and just like the close ups. It's like when I think about RDJ doing the Iron Man inside the suit acting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where he's just kind of like looking at random dots and then they fill it in after. And so watching them doing the pod acting and they're all talking to each other on whatever system they're using to to chat, they're in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And that's not what's most interesting to me in, in dramas, in films, in movies, in plays, and whatever. Like, it's human to human. Mm-hmm. Like, when you can feel the energy that they're looking at something. You know, at least when you've got, like, Luke talking to Yoda, it's like a puppeteer is, like, there, and yeah. he's got a thing to look at. Because mm-hmm. it's like you can see it in their eyes. That it's just, it doesn't have the same chemistry. And because they had two CG characters as main characters. Mm-hmm. And then he's he like cares about the blue guy uh, who keeps calling him boy. Yondu. Yondu is supposedly like his father figure. Also right off the top, his mom as she's dying, or his grandpa says to him that his dad's not going to make it or something. So I'm guessing we're going to find out about who his dad is because he's half Terran. So I'm guessing in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, we're going to find out who his dad is. But anyway, Yondu has been his like father figure, and then he dupes him and gives him a troll instead of the Infinity Stone at the end, and Yondu like, smiles about it? Then what was the whole plot of the movie? I think he smiles about it going, oh, you rat bastard, I'm coming to get you. No, I, I understand that he's like, nah, fooled me again. I'll come find you. I raised you. <laughs> <laughs> I took you. Why did he take him from Earth? Maybe we'll find out in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Maybe he's really his dad. 
I mean, I say all these things and I also am kind of like, I'm not very invested. Well, yeah, what you said about it being hollow, that's a really good word for this film. There's not a whole lot of heart payoff in this and there's not a whole lot of, at least for me, narrative payoff. I'm along for the ride that the MCU has been building so far and going to see this in the cinemas, I was like, oh, I was hoping we'd get more Earth superhero stuff, but okay, I mean, that was fun. But Mm -hmm. hollow is a really good way to describe it. Well, and it's just spoon feeding. Like, you know that there's going to be sexual tension between Alphaba and (laughs) Star-Lord. And Pratt got shredded. Yeah. He ate chicken and broccoli for like a year. What a guy. For one scene. I know. one shower scene. That one's pretty clear. Like, oh, yeah, here's to prove he did it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that night, he had... Seven beers. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love hot people. Um, I like the opening, too. I, I mean, the 26 years later. Mm. You know, he's going after this stone. Yeah, it sets it up well. And I'm like, oh, this is this is kind of fun. And, and he's charming to watch. And, oh, he's dancing. And he's on a different planet. And what? Oh, he's a scallywag. And we definitely know, oh, we're in for a different film. For sure. Yeah, and oh, it's taking place on some planet. We don't know what it is. And he's after this thing. He's a bit of an Indiana Jones. And is he a Han Solo? Is he just all Harrison Ford characters? Chris Pratt actually said he based Star-Lord on Han Solo and Marty McFly, which I totally see. Yeah, for sure. But then, like, instantly, other pirates arrive. Mm -hmm. We see how he escapes. And he's got, like, no special powers, except he's a great flyer i guess or he has a fast ship bit of both um and he kind of is just slick i don't see like a superhero aspect to this film yes and that's also linking to what i was saying before of not only am i missing the great narrative that we've been building from before but also and i was thinking about it during this film i don't know what it is about superheroes on earth that i crave because these are people doing super things like These are people with super strength. He can fly with rocket boosters. There's all kind of magic stuff happening. But it doesn't have the same resonance for me. And I don't know if that's because it's missing depth of character. I don't know if that's because it's not on Earth. So I can, through many complex equations, bring it down to a realistic level that I can kind of relate to and have fantastical aspirations for. But you relate to Star Wars. Exactly. So that's why I was thinking about it in this film. Like, I relate to those films, and I relate to all the superhero films on Earth. So why don't I connect with this one so much? And I don't know. I The best thing that I can think of is what you said, hollow. Because the film itself doesn't necessarily do a good job of pulling me in to caring all that much about what's happening in the story. Well, and our protagonist is a self-proclaimed Star-Lord. Mm-hmm. What does he do? He just kind of gets by. Like, I don't see him doing much that's heroic. Yeah. Uh, I don't see him really rising to challenges. Like, he kind of feels... Okay, so if we take Han Solo, for example. Han Solo in the first film is just like, I don't want to be here. I'm just going to do... I need the money. I'm going to go on this thing. I'm going to take you to where you need to go. Okay, I'm out of here. And then at the last second, he has a change of heart. He's not the rascal we all think he is, right? He comes back and he helps. 
that's like relatable. Not that he's the protagonist, but he's kind of a fan favorite. Come on. Mm-hmm. But I guess like Star Lord kind of has that. He has a vision of his mom saying, take my hand. And he never, he didn't take his mom's hand and regrets it. But he does in this moment take uh, Alphaba's hand in the circle. And, you know, he learns something. But, you know, we don't get to see really a lot of vulnerability. What are your feelings about your blue dad, who's also kind of a scallywag and took you from Earth? How mm-hmm. are you stoked about not being on Earth? Do you remember what your life was like on Earth? Does it just remind you of your mom? You ran out into a field outside the hospital where your mom just died and got sucked up into the sky. Never go back again. And, and yet we can watch Star Wars and be like, oh, it's fully relatable. We know what that's like to be like, I want to do this thing. I don't know how to do this thing. I got to get humbled and like go and figure out how to do this thing and then return stronger than before. And then these obstacles in your way, learning all the things you don't know, being invigorated by that. You don't see any of that journey in this film. It's just like a cocksure guy. He doesn't really have a lot of feelings. We're supposed to like just kind of think he's a cool guy who operates alone. And then gets friends? Yeah, there's not a lot of growth in this. Sure, he and the rest of the Guardians learn to work as a team, but that's not a huge thing to learn. And that's why, going back to Star Wars too, it doesn't connect like Star Wars does, because in Star Wars there's so much growth. All these characters learn something new about themselves, they learn what they have to overcome, They do overcome something, they sacrifice something, and we don't have that in this. We have a little bit, a little bit of learning that they have to work together. They can't be loners. And ultimately, what this film is doing, for me at least, is introducing the concept of how big things are, and these Infinity Stone things, there are quite a few people interested in them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When you talk about Vin Diesel... Because I said, how many ways did Vin Diesel have to say, I am Groot? And you said like over a thousand? Yeah, he recorded somewhere over a thousand different variations of I am Groot. And he wore stilts while he was recording too, so he could get himself to a more imposing height to feel more like Groot would feel. And actually, he had he had some really sweet things to say. So, And you asked, why did they get Vin Diesel to do this? And he was really interested when they did approach him. Um, it's not like he's slumming it or anything. It's like, wow, a cool Marvel movie film. That's awesome. But it's like he has three words, four words to say in the whole film. For sure. So it could be anybody, mm-hmm. really. But he was really grateful for this film coming along because he was just coming off of several Fast and Furious films. And Paul Walker had just died. And the two of them were really close because they had done several of the films together. Hmm. And he said this was the first time really that he got back into interactions with people. He had secluded himself quite a bit because of his grief. And so this was a bit of a return to kind of normal life. And he was really grateful for the whole team and just getting to get back to his job and being surrounded by creative people. Hmm. I think he did a fine job. For only having three words, he sure put a lot. Four words. Oh, we, yeah, that's true. We are Groot. Oh, so he has five words. I am Groot. We are. He has the biggest arc of all. Yeah, how did he learn how to say we are? And he does have the biggest arc, I guess, because he becomes a branch at the end. True. Do all those other branches that are all scattered among the ashes also become little Groots? I was thinking that too. I R- hope that I hope that that's the arc of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, that it's just a Groot planet. Like in 
one of the prequels of Star Wars when we go to the Wookiee planet. <laughs> Just a bunch of little baby Groots running around everywhere. Yeah. Bradley Cooper does some good voice work as well. We already touched on that. The soundtrack for this film is so good. The choice to have all those hits is so smart. Marketing-wise, brilliant. Again, with the jokes and this soundtrack, it's going to draw in a whole new crowd of people who are going to leave very happy just because oh, yeah. they had a good time. Yeah, and it's like familiar, and we haven't had a soundtrack in any of the Marvel films yet that's used practical music in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what's so smart about it, too, that I love that we, the audience, get all of these hits, but they're also actually narratively woven in. They are part of the mixtape that he has, so they're used diegetically as well, mm -hmm. where we hear them in his headphones, headphones mm -hmm. and then it transitions to us hearing it. Like, uh, that kind of stuff I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. I didn't find the uh, score all that memorable. Mm -hmm. Maybe that the fact that I didn't really notice it is a good sign, as we've talked about before. But, but I don't know. Do you listen to this score like you do the other ones? So I was actively listening to the score to this this time around because that's the same sentiment I had as well. This isn't a super memorable score for me. It's not one of my go-tos. Tyler Bates is the composer. He's done a ton of Zack Snyder films, lots of action films. He's a really great composer. And like you said... The fact that you didn't notice it means he did his job really well. But as I was listening, he's very smart and he's very subtle in that he didn't do anything overpowered. He didn't try and mimic the hits that were also playing. Mm -hmm. Like in the first Iron Man, what Ramin Jawadi did of making it very... <laughs> totally, totally. Where it's, it's, all, it's very electronic. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of like the music that they're also playing that Tony's listening to. And Tyler Bates didn't do that in this. He kept it very superhero-y, very epic, but nothing crazy bombastic and over the top. It's really good hooks. Like the theme... Like that, that motif that he weaves in and out, it's a really great heroic theme, but he doesn't overdo it. And all of his aggressive strings, it's just a great action score, and it underscores it all so well that it heightens the action, it adds weight to the emotional moments and the quieter moments. What would you call the emotional moments? At the end of the film, when he is opening the present from his mom, that used the ba 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 da da da. It used the main theme, but delicately plunked on a piano. Hmm. I'm a huge sucker for all that kind of stuff. When you take mm. a main theme and you repurpose it for different emotional tones, love that. It's also hard to compete with all those bangers. That's true. We're kind of left feeling, all right, can't wait for the next hit to come on. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah, keep going with this. What was the one that was playing when they went into prison and the guy took his cassette tape? Ooga chaka, ooga, ooga, yeah, ooga, yeah, yeah. ooga so good. Chaka. It slaps. Yeah. So I guess it's probably good that I didn't really notice the film score. And it's also good that it wasn't like an instrumental ooga chaka. <laughs> because that would be a little too... You're like, oh, no, now you're just... Well, and that's what I mean. If Tyler Bates had done that, if he had taken these well-known hits and kind of epic orchestrated them, 
That yeah, just like strings going. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, no. It would have felt no. not cheap, but it just would have felt weird. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he finds a voice all his own is what I really appreciate. He's just very smart. So Tyler Bates, if you're listening, Master Bates, if you're listening, <laughs> don't shake your head at me. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And you can follow along for more at MCU and Me Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much. Bye.